Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Well, round two of the 2022 Six Nations is now history. And as expected, England picked up their first win. It was quite a routine victory over Italy in Rome. Marcus Smith once again starred. And Eddie Jones said afterwards he doesn't think there's any ceiling on just how good this young fly half can become. We'll assess his role in the current England side. England's overall performance, and let's well, let's be fair, it was a frankly sloppy display from the Italians who are going to carry on waiting for a Six Nations win. How many games has it been now? 30? Well, a lot. Um, and, well, in Paris, what a game we were treated to on Saturday evening. France just edged out Ireland. It was a thriller. The result means France are the only side left in the competition with a 100% record, and they are rightly favourites to win it from here, but they're is a long way to go, as we will discuss, no doubt, throughout this podcast. Even though Ireland uh, lost, they were quite, I thought they were quite impressive, actually, and they showed they are firmly on the right track under Andy Farrell. We will recap that game uh, with the former Ireland back rower, Alan Quinlan, who was at the Stade de France on Saturday. Elsewhere, Scotland. Oh, dear. Another disappointment. See, expectation, that's what it is, disappointment waiting to happen. Failed to back up their opening weekend win over England. They, well, it was a narrow defeat away to Wales. Welsh skipper Dan Bigger called it one of the best wins of his career as he celebrated his 100th cap by slotting a match-winning drop goal. And we'll speak to Bigger's former coach, Sean Holly about his performance and the Welsh performance in general after many had written them off pre-game. As ever, we'll get stuck into some of your questions too. There were quite a lot this week. Uh, and, and that's what the Six Nations does for you. Delighted to welcome back alongside me the Harlequins in England, said to Rachel Burford. Hi, Rich. Hiya, how are you doing? England were always going to pick up their uh, first win of the tournament. They've never lost to Italy. What did you make of the game and, uh, and performance in general? I thought it was quite a good performance. You know, it's sort of a tough defeat last weekend. Um, but I think, you know, the majority of the areas that you'd look at, you know, possession, set piece, they were fairly dominant. I think the first half, they really came out of the blocks and started really fast and kept that momentum going. Um, second half was probably more around how well they defended and kept Italy out in those final moments and kept their composure. Um, but also the will to continue to play as well. 
not just thinking about closing games out? Yeah, I mean, it's always difficult uh, when you're trying to assess a performance against Italy because you can see on the one hand, well, France are at home and they scored five tries against Italy. England were away and they scored five tries. And yet... Everyone can see there are flashes of very good stuff. The, the rook speed was very good for nearly all the first half and in the second half fell away, started to give penalties away again and there's still a lot to do. I mean, Marcus Smith, he picked all the match plaudits up afterwards. Eddie Jones says, look, the sky's the limit. He's a fellow Quinn. Um, he's a nice lad as well, isn't he? Um, yeah. Overall, overall, um, are we right to... Say that he, you know, he continues to impress. It. He, you know, his game is continuing to uh, to de- develop in the right direction. I think so. I think you look back to the summer where he started, and then you know, go into the autumn internationals, tougher opposition. You know, more pressure on you. Then into the Six Nations is first, and he stepped up every single time. And I think Eddie Jones is right. You know that. The bloke that he is, he's got so much will to want to learn and be the best that he can in that position and do the justice that that is the making of somebody, isn't it? Always wanting to get better. I mean, he had an exceptional game, you know, to win man in a match. You know, three of those tries, pivotal to everything that he did. You know, for him to to be performing where he is and still have so much to grow is a really exciting prospect for England. I mean, there were several times, and people probably didn't pick this up because they're not looking for it, but I... Notice that, you know, when he needs to commit to a rook because he's the next one there, he doesn't shy away from that, goes in, not doesn't always get it right and sometimes <laughs> get bundled off it because, let's face it, you know, against uh, bigger forwards, you're going you're gonna to have trouble sometimes. But it's not for want of uh, application, is it? And, and he's defending as well. Yeah. You know, he may not clatter people like Johnny Wilkinson, but actually no one clatter people like Johnny Wilkinson. <laughs> um, but he's not afraid to... To you know, to put his head there, is he? No, he's not. And I think you know, Marcus gets all the talk about how exciting, exciting he is when he is in attack. But you've got to give him his due, where he's brave in defence as well. He'll always go in for the tackles, and and like you said, you know, a couple of those edge rucks where players were getting isolated, he was straight in there, mm-hmm. getting in under the ball. So he's not afraid of that side of the ball as well. And I think you know, that's a real making of a player as well. You talk so much about tens that just love to play and only want to attack and never defend. And I think you know. Although Marcus will probably only want to attack, really, that's probably where his favourite um, time on the ball is. You know, he's still brave enough to to put his head where he needs to. What are they going to do when Owen Farrell is available? What do you think they should do? Well, I think it'll be interesting. You know, at the moment he's at the informed ten, so he needs to be starting in that position, depending where Manu is, whether he's back and in the fold to to then where there's a place for Owen to be able to come back into the team, but. Look, I think Owen is one of the ultimate professional players and I I would suggest that he has massively supported Marcus in terms of how he's going about his business, how we spoke about just a moment ago about the will to want to learn and continue to get better. That's that's all what Owen is. You know, Owen never takes a seat back and think, oh, I'm in this position and I can just cruise here. So I think, you know, he'll be learning still a lot from, from Owen. But yeah, it'd be interesting where whether or not that 12 spot becomes Owen's when he's fit and back playing. Well, in my view, Eddie Jones has to make a firm decision on this. And in my opinion, he should say, look, 10, unless someone's injured, 10 is being fought over by Smith and Ford or anyone else he wants to do. But, Owen, you are in the centre mix. So the demarcation, because once you started down this road with Smith, I can't see the point in going backwards but because... 
we can all see the potential there. It, by the time it comes to 2023, you're probably, I think you've only got about 20 or 20 games maybe left uh, and counting. So you want a fly half with a being pivotal um, uh, and seminal position in regards to decision making. You want your fly half to, to have somewhere around 30 odd caps, don't you? You need that sort of game experience because every time you play, you learn. But in that position, it's, ex- it's even more important. Yeah, it's, it's vital, isn't it? Leading into that World Cup, you need to have a fly half that's A, well-established within his, in the team him, in himself, but also those around him. Um, you know, he, he's playing really, really well. How much he's leading by probably just example, um, you know, has still got a long way to go yet. And having those games and having those, you know, tight opportunities and, you know, when things don't go your way, when they do go your way, you know, learn, all those learnings going into a World Cup is really, really important. And there's no point not allowing Smith to now grow over the next two years to really, you know, make his mark in that shirt on the good side of things. But also when things aren't going great, how does he manage that and how does he work through that? Um, but I think you're right, you know, with Farrell, as and when he comes back in, Eddie Jones needs to be quite clear about the direction mm. of those two. So they both also have clarity yeah. about what their roles are. So... Um, yeah, it'd be an interesting one to see how it plays out. Now, this, this is a guess because I can't remember exactly, but Nick Mullins on commentary did mention how many centre partnerships England have had <laughs> since 2003. I think it was 154. No, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> it, but it was something unbelievable, like 60-odd. And that just shows Eddie, this has been a problem before Eddie got here, and it's still a problem uh, in, in the sense that no one knows where the settled things are. And everyone is aware of Manu Tulang. We understand that. But they've really... I mean, you, you cannot go into a World Cup without a tried and tested partnership. You know, I know Eddie says it doesn't matter what number's on your back. It doesn't uh, in certain respects. But if you're mounting a tournament challenge, you've got to have the basis and solidity to... Even the French have learned that now. I mean, the <laughs> French... This is what the French used to do. They used to say, it doesn't matter, he's a great footballer, he can play anywhere. And of course... Some people, you know, they'd have good games and then it'd come apart when under pressure because you revert to type and you do things um, that are unexpected and people around you don't know what you're doing. So that, I mean, he, well, for me, he has to decide what type of player he wants at 12. Um, and if, it, if Joe Marchant or Slade, who are very conventional, very good footballing centres, don't offer that, then, then get someone who does but at least give them the game time so that everyone understands where we're going. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, I think you're right. There's been so many different combinations. And, and for me, you know, the likes of Daly, Slade and March, and they all offer very much the similar thing. And, and Mano, look, for me, has to be in that centre partnership. But then what if Manu isn't there? Who is, you need to have that backup that is very similar to the way that Manu plays. And, you know, having played in... Um, Six Nations and World Cups, having that centre partnership where I used to work with Emily Scarrett on so many um, games, we had complete clarity about one Mm. another. It does make a big difference, not just to us, but also those around us as well. And I think, you know, it's an area that you want to have your best players on, but you want to have your best players playing in their best position where they can give the best to the team. Um, So it's it's another area that is still unsold for England. Well, there were lots of calls for a change at Scrum Half and Harry Randall was given an opportunity to start there. Um, what, did, what do you make of, what do you make of his, 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 his outing? 
he reminds me of Marcus, you know, he's exciting, he wants to play fast, quick rugby, he moved the ball well, I thought, he was really busy. Um, and yeah, so I think, you know, for his first start, young guy, um, straight in the thick of it, I think he did really, really well. I thought his kicking uh, suffered a, a bit early on, it was a bit wayward, uh, it got better, his, his service was quick, uh, and you, you could see that. Um, a bit like when Ben Youngs was younger, he also needs to um, look every now and again to interest the guards, bodyguards and back rows so that they can't just um, you know, drift away from him expecting him to whip the, the pass out. Now, um, he was substituted and Ben Youngs came on to equal the men's, um, six, uh, men's uh, England cap record of 114. Um, ben is playing well for Leicester. But to me, he the delivery looked slower than when Randall was on. And I don't think that's what England um, want. No, I think they want to play this, you know, Eddie Jones has been saying there's going to be this exciting brand of rugby that they want to play. And, you know, there's moments in the game where you do need to slow it down and you do need to have that, um, you know, that composure brought to, to a level at some points in the game. But I think if England want to keep playing on this front football with the exciting back line that they have, then they've got to make sure that they're keeping, A, the breakdown quickly and the dominance in the carry, but then also being able to move the ball away quickly. Um but it makes it an interesting selection, doesn't it, for Wales about the way that Eddie Jones wants to play. Well, I mean, the two big games coming up, I mean, Wales and then Ireland, uh, both at home. England have an 85% uh, win ratio at home in the Six Nations. So you they should be looking to go into the final week, um, maybe with a, a title um, decider away at Stade de France. But it's a long way to go before that. Italy, look. 99th defeat in the Six Nations. Um, everyone, I'm sick of talking about this, but what else can you say? Um, everyone's talking about, should they, you know, should he get Georgia, should he get this? Georgia are no better than Italy. In fact, they're probably not as good. Italy's under 20s, um, uh, you know, have been playing really well. It's taken them a long time. It took France a long time when the Four Nations went to the Five Nations. Um, but my point is this. There's no point in just saying, well, let, let's, let's throw someone out in order to get someone, another country that's not quite as good. And I'll just make this same comment again, as I always do. Yes, there should be an automatic right to get to the top table from the, uh, from the second competitions in Europe, but it can't be every year, otherwise it'll be up and down. Uh, maybe every two, three years. I don't know whether it's a home and away playoff. Um, but unfortunately, to which we get to that situation, I don't think there's a lot you can do about it. Yeah, I think... You've got to have some consistency in there. So, A, unions can plan. There's You can't just keep having teams come in and out. And, look, I think Italy, they show signs of being competitive at times. There were some exciting, um, you know, attacking moments that they had, but they just couldn't convert it. And, you know, you can't really base one result of the under-20s versus the England under-20s, a 6 nil victory in that, you know, suddenly we're going to have this unearthed talent come through for Italy and they're going to be super competitive. But, you know... Italy have put a number of years and longevity into what they're trying to achieve. And, you know, there's still plenty more to a long, long way for them to go. But I think, you know, as you said, the question's got to be, you know, how could that look in terms of a team coming in and a team going down? Why don't we turn to what was the game of the weekend? Undoubtedly, France uh, 30 Ireland 26. Very pleased to say a good friend of mine, uh, Alan Quinlan, is here to uh, 
to uh, go through it with. Hello, Quinny. Brian, how are you? Not bad. Look, you were at Stade de France for the game of the weekend, and it, it was a crazy opening, wasn't it? You know, they got off to a cracker, then they just gave you a try, and uh, everyone was looking around thinking, what the hell is going on? Um, even though their display was impressive, the power was there and so on, Ireland got into a position where, I'm not saying they should have won, but they could have won. Do you think it was one where they can legitimately say, look, we were beaten by a better team, we got close, or actually, we should be quite angry because we could have taken that? I think they'll be frustrated, Brian. Um, it was a crazy start, as you said, uh, with, with the early try penalty. Um, they kind of set their stall out with, with the, the collisions and their aggressive nature. And, and Fabian Galtier said that during the week. So that wouldn't have been a surprise to Ireland. But um, they turned their back in that first line out. DuPont goes and Ireland were you know, all facing towards their own goalposts at that time. I'm not saying they would have snuffed it out quicker, but... Got a little bit narrow then when France came back. And, and and funny enough, they had enough numbers when Intimac throws the ball back inside. But Ron Keller just slightly switched off. Now, it was a very kind of speculative pass and hit and hope, if you like. Could have landed in an Irish player's hands. But you get the luck when you run that inside line and DuPont does that. So I think Ireland were kind of a little bit shocked and a little bit static. Um in that first period. And France are a very good side. We all know that. Everybody knows France are a very good side. But I think they showed a lot of character, Ireland, um, and, and quality. They're a very good side. Um, we should be confident about that. I think the biggest issues they had were around the breakdown and the line-out. France made it really difficult. Ireland only lost two line-outs. And it was very funny because the two line-outs Ireland lost, James Ryan went up on his own, uncontested, and it was an overthrow from Ronan Keller, the first one. The second one was was Ty Byrne, uncontested, an overthrow from Dan Sheehan. But the, the type of ball that they won from those line-outs was sloppy and messy. Um, could have been a few penalties against France. They were throwing the jumpers across the air. But look, I, I just think if Paul O'Connell was the Ireland captain and the pack leader or Martin Johnson, or Alan Wynne-Jones, they'd be in the referee's ear. He did warn Walkie early on. And France were able to kind of frustrate Ireland, get in their faces, and then, you know, the ball wasn't quick at the breakdown. So, number of issues there, but I think if they look back, we'll be a little bit frustrated. I'll tell you what I, I thought was impressive. Um, France have the raw power, don't they? They've got it throughout the side. Um even with even when the the backs take the ball up, they you know they pump in there and they get momentum. Uh, Ireland's front row physically comparable, back five um, lighter weight, but you know different things with mobility and dexterity and so on. And and yet they managed to stay with them because they did things their own way rather than trying to batter um, up with 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 France. Um, it, it, they've got to stay with that, haven't they? They've got to yeah, stay they with have. That. They have. But I think it's it, looking. I watched the game back a couple of times, Brian, and I think Ireland, you know, tried to keep it quite narrow at times with their one-out runners. Like there's a little bit of variety. There's kind of dummy runners coming around the corner. But off those breakdowns, and I think this is where they've got to read it on the go. When you know, I think it, the stat for Ireland in November with rooks under three seconds was. 60-70% which is very high at the weekend it was less than 50 so if the, if the ball is that little bit slower it obviously allows the forwards around the fringes get set number up double up 
and a couple of times Ireland got smashed on the game line there where I thought they probably possibly could have moved um, that contact a little bit wider. And then they were sloppy at times. You know, Caelan Doris knocks on the ball early on in the game when Ireland were in a good tacking position. They end up back in their own 22, giving away a penalty. So Ireland can, you know, down to pressure and being a little bit sloppy. But, you know, the breakdown was an issue. Um, and I think on another day, they'd certainly be, you know, Paul O'Connell would be really disappointed with that and the Irish players themselves. So, look, it, it sometimes you know yourself, it's down to that pressure of the opposition and France are very good at that. Um, so, you know, it'll be... It w- there was opportunities there and, and you know, Sexton missing then is another issue. I think Joey Carberry played really well, but he was quite deep, uh, Carberry, a lot of the time and it made it easier for France. Do you think there'd have been a different decision with the penalty kick or go, go for in the corner if Sexton had played? Yes, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I think, look, at the end of the day, um, you kick in the corner, um, France stop him and the Ireland don't get the penalty, well, everyone will be saying it's the wrong decision. I think, you know, getting the three points, closing the gap a little bit, we thought might be, uh, might, might, might spook the French a little bit, but um, big moment in that second half was the Serabai try because Ireland had the ball, they played, played it off the line out, Doris carries, and, and very uncharacteristic from Ireland, and you've seen them a lot over the years, and one of the things that has been impressive about Ireland is their efficiency around, you know, retaining ball and being really effective at the breakdown. They just got high. Tau Fefenuel kind of lifts jo- uh, Josh van der Fleer out of it. The ball shoots out and it's a try. That gave France that little bit of an energy boost that they really believe, well, look, even though we've conceded a couple and Ireland are back in it, we can now go on and win this. Can I just say this is a moot point because uh, we'll never know, but I got the feeling over the weekend that... Um, with the Wales Scotland game and and the Irish game, had the uh, home advantage been the other way, the result might have gone the other way as well, because of just that bit of a lift. You know, Wales was sustained by by their crowd and you know so on. Uh, France had that bit there. You know, had it been at the Aviva, and uh, you know, as you know, um, with the, with the mad support that they get, they get there, I'm just in the back of my mind. It's such a significant statistic, is this that. Um, I've just got that feeling, and when we come to the save for England's next two games, you know, Ireland have got to come to Twickenham. Will they be confident about that? Um, yeah, home advantage plays a, bit, a big hand, and you know, I know from my own experience when you've got France and and England away, and this is res- with respect to Scotland and Wales, um, they, they, and you know, we're in that category as well with Scotland and Wales. France and England are the big powerhouses, and traditionally they've always been had more depth and power and, and home advantage really counts in those games. But, you know, Ireland won a Grand Slam in 2018 going to Paris and, and getting a result in, in, in Twickenham as well. So small margins at the weekend, they could have got themselves into position and been winning. So, but like, like everybody knows going into this game, given the excitement around this French team, that um, that's why I think it's more glass half full for Ireland um, than, than half empty because... You know, they put in a really good effort, um, showed their quality um, and, and a little bit more accuracy. They could have troubled France and got, but they never, the line out, I think, that Tyburn kicks the ball through and gets this amazing 50-22, um, losing that line was crucial. You know, they had scored a, a mall try from that corner with Josh van der Fleer after half time. So, 
in every game, you know, uh, you, and, and Sean will say the same as a, as a former coach and uh, someone who knows the game well, you know, small margins, little accuracies around scrum, line out, breakdown, and Ireland just need to be a little bit better. So it's a bit of a steep learning curve. And I think Joey Carberry will be much the better for the experience at the weekend. Well, usually when uh, uh, pundits and coaches and captains say, oh, they were positive to take out the game, it's usually an excuse. Um, but on this occasion, I don't, I don't think it was. I think, as you say, it was a marginal thing. Gwyneth, good to speak to you again. Thank you very much for taking the time. See you, mate. My pleasure, Brian. And make sure you do us a favour now when uh, you play the French in the last game. And we want Wales and Scotland to do us a favour as well. So you can tell Sean that he he better rev up the Welsh for, for the French when they come to Cardiff. Well, why don't we go to, uh, to Sean Holly, former Ospreys head coach. Very good support of the show. Hello, Sean. Oh, yeah, Bray. Scotland were full of expectation, um, and yet this was the second game in a row, actually three if you count um, South Africa, where their forwards um, were second best for quite long periods of the game, weren't they? And it was a tremendous uh, performance up front all round by... What do you put... The, there were two big improvements. The line-out was a massive improvement, wasn't it? And also the ball-carrying... So yeah. who do you think takes takes the plaudits for that? Well, firstly, Brian, I think it, it was almost the, the best game to have for Wales off the back of such a poor performance in Ireland. Uh, we were always expecting a backlash. The home advantage you just talked with Quinny about was a massive factor. Um, but, you know, you're right. You know, it still needs to be done on the field. And, you know, set piece, a lot of credit has to go to Jonathan Humphreys off the field. From his, from a coaching point of view, they've had a lot of flack, particularly in the lineout. Scrum was one area that we were okay against Ireland. It was, there was parity there, but you know our scrum, we had only four scrums we had, but we won a penalty in the first scrum, which Dan Bigger kicked three points, set us on our way. And as you know, Seth P sets the tone. They went 100% lineout. Adam Beard should take a lot of credit for that for his lineout call. I thought he had a great game all round, Adam Beard. Yeah, he did, you know, and he's maturing all the while. Will Rowlands had probably his best game in the Welsh shirt. He carried well and, and hit a load of rucks. But the, the the front row has been under a lot of pressure. And when Jones stepped up, he's getting better and better uh, off the back of the Lions tour. Thomas Francis, a big game. And Ryan Elias was named player of the match and hit all his arrows and carried really well around the field. So the ball carry and the effort was huge. It wasn't pretty, Bray. We only made one line break. But it didn't matter on Saturday. It was all about getting over the line and getting the win. And I have to say, I know games are won and lost up front, but our captain, Dan Bigger, on his 100th test was just inspirational. He drove the team forward. He was he was brilliant in everything he did. And, uh, you know, we got over the line. Unfortunately for Scotland, it just shows again that they cannot carry the weight of expectation. They, they perform one week and they don't the next. It's strange, isn't it? Because, you know, I remember very distinctly... Last year, at the similar sort of position in the tournament, saying, could this be the time they've nailed this? And no, it wasn't. And it, I don't know what you do about that, because the, you know, the, play, the, the players have shown that at times when they concentrate, they get the accuracy right and so on. It's not a lack of effort. You know, as a coach, it, it, it must, what, what can you do about it? What would you, what would you be trying to say to them? Yeah, it's, it's a real tough one. It's a tough question, that, because you look at the Scotland squad now, have they ever had such a time? Well, certainly not in maybe the last 20, 
25 years, had a, a, a depth and a talented squad. All the key players are of the right age, you know, Stuart Hogg, Finn Russell, Hamish Watson, they're all of the right age now to nail it. Uh, and yet they still can't. So what, what does Gregor Townsend do? He's shown up the defence. I think Steve Tandy has done a good job up there. Um, he's got a lot of British and Irish Lions squad members in there. He has big game players, but they don't do it on a game-by-game basis. And I I tell think- you, I'm just, it's just occurred to me, Sean. I'll tell you what they haven't had. is We were talking about Paul O'Connell just before you came on with with, with yeah, yeah. And Martin Johnson. And... And and Alan Wayne Jones, you know, and if you sometimes it can only take that player who is a big man, and usually they are big men, men, you know, etc. To say, right, this is where we go. That's what we do. You all follow me. And whilst you've had players like Hamish Watson and so on, and there isn't that one man where you look in the sort of bag, you think, oh god, right, okay, Um, and and that 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 might be it. I think. I think you might be right. You probably have got to think back to someone like Finley Calder, mm. you know, as an inspirational leader up front. Um, you know, you know, David Saul was a big player. And, you know, Tom Smith, even though he was a lion, was probably, you know, a team player. He wasn't that leader. And then you think to, to recent times, the Scotland pack, good players, like we talked about Hamish Watson, Johnny Gray, Matt Ferguson has been excellent. But, you know, is there that catalyst, that talisman up front. We're talking about their big players being Finn Russell and, and Stuart Hogg. You know, they're in the backfield. Mm. You know, we just talked about Wales' performance. You know, it's, it's been won and lost up front, that one. Mm. Um, so it, it's a tough one for Scotland. However, they do go back to Murrayfield, France. You know, it's not their favourite place to go and hopefully we'll see a backlash then to really open up the championship mm. and, um, and do everybody a favour. Sean, got a fan question here from you, from Daniel. Um, should Wales take the opportunity to progress this group of players rather than bringing back the injured players when they're fit? Um, would you see that as a backward step? Uh, I think that's a great question, Dan. And um, I think they need to take this opportunity. They need to, uh, to to grow the depth in the squad. We, Alan Wynn can't go on forever. George North, Jonathan Davis... Justin Tipperick when they if and when they come back uh, Toby Falato you know there's not long to go to World Cup in France and that's where we, Wayne Pivak should he last that long uh, that's where he'll be more you know measured is in that World Cup in France and we know what those guys I just mentioned can do um, even when they come back he needs to build on this win and you know uh, boost the confidence of the likes of a team Basham Jack Morgan had a great debut um, the centres haven't played a lot of international rugby. Uh, so he needs to do that. And in my opinion, maybe introduce a few more. You know, I'd like to see Johan Lloyd from Bristol in the squad uh, and get in a go. Maybe Callum Sheedy is not going to get as much of a run because Dan is the captain now. But Owen Walker needs to play more regularly in the centre because we're short of, of a lot of talent in that area. And then in that back row, even though we're blessed with talent in the back row, these young two are the future of Wales. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they should... You know, irrespective of the championship. I know we all want to win things, but now going to South Africa is going to be tough. They need to blood them and give them that experience. And then next autumn. So, yeah, I think they should. Sean, I, I've been writing about um, the quirky draw. This is just what happens, you know, when when the fixes fall. Yeah. It's way as they do every time. And, um, you know, I was saying, you know, England were always going to have one win because they got Italy uh, first out of the two. 
But now they've got two home games, and you've got to come to Twickenham. England's win percentage at Twickenham is the highest of any Six Nations team. It's 85%. France is 76 um, Ireland 71 Wales 61 Scotland 46 um, so a much improved performance um, bear in mind what you said um, what sort of chance would you give them at Twickenham <sighs> bloody hell Bray uh, I, don't, I don't give them I don't give them uh, as much of a chance as if we had those that generation of, of legendary Welsh players in there. You know, it's been tough enough with those guys in to win at Twickenham, and we've had a decent-ish record. Having said that, you know, I don't think England are any great shakes at the moment. You know, Scotland beat them. We've just beaten Scotland. It's not a, it's not a case of that. But when you go to HQ, then you're, you're up against a lot. And, and I think, you know, the experience and the performance and maybe a, you know, and... Not, not necessarily a, a close defeat, but a good performance and, and show up again, I think would be acceptable for us in Wales, Bright, with the current squad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got to think, we made one line break against Scotland. We scored two tries in two games. One was an interception out in Ireland and one was a driving ball. <laughs> so, I mean, we in Wales, we've got to get our feet back on the ground here on, on a Monday morning and say, you know, we are where we are. You know, we've shown up. We're a tough bunch to beat. We've got to take another step forward and maybe look to create a little bit more, develop, reinstate our our set piece game, and do the same. Because if we don't do that in attack and defence against England and our set piece, we will get hammered uh, and continue the improvements in defence. So, yeah, as much as we restricted Scotland to one try, we still missed twenty five tackles. You know, let, let, you know. Sometimes stats don't line it. You know, and and so a, a good performance and a, and a front up again would be acceptable. I think. Um, everyone is rightly talking France up. They've got tremendous power. They've got a lot of um, creativity and so on. Um, but they've now um, got to uh, go away uh, twice. So uh, bearing in mind the win ratios, etc., the, the and the paucity of, uh, of, of away wins, is there a chance that you think anyone will turn them over at home? Before they get back to the to the final game when they're at Stade de France in, uh, with England, I think uh, I think they are the ones to beat, aren't they? I mean, it, it, to to score that many points against Ireland, you know, I, I tipped Ireland, but I, I I thought Ireland might just do it, so it will need somebody to tip them over. Can Wales tip them over? Well, I think yes, we can. You know, on the day, but lots of things have to go right for Wales. You know, the home advantage is massive in Cardiff. You know that. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, you know, we have lots of things have to go right. We have to be at the top of our game, have a little bit of luck. Last year, we rode our luck because we had a couple of red cards. That still, I think, has a part to play in this championship. I don't know where, but I still think yellow and red cards will somewhere come into the mix. And that could be in the Wales-France game. The fact it's a Friday night, 8 o'clock, I'm not comfortable with because the French are used to playing, yep. you know, late on a Friday night and, and then will enjoy themselves. And this French team are a different kettle of fish. But it's not with... You know, it's not beyond the realms of Wales to 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 sneak a famous win if they front up. Other than that, no, I, I think I think France are are destined to win this, and if I'm honest, to push on and win the World Cup. I mean, you 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 know the man uh, uh, well. He was down in Wales for a long time. Sean Edwards. I tell you what, for me, you know, the thing with France always used to be, uh, yeah, 
if they get in trouble, they can suddenly accelerate. They suddenly seem to be able to hit the ball harder. All the pace, the gears go up, they go through this. But it was always a case where if you stop them doing that, then, then they do something silly. And, you know, it wouldn't be one penalty, it'd be three in a row. And, you know, you yeah. kick down and they stop doing that. And it's really, really annoying uh, for everyone else. <laughs> but, um, you know, that, that, must be, that must be at least in part down to Sean, mustn't it? I, I agree with you, mate. I looked hard at their defence yesterday and he's showing great improvements. And ironically, it's somebody like DuPont, the scrum half, who he, he uses in the line, is instigating a lot of that. Yep. But they are coming harder off the line. They're very physical. And then on the flip side, I think he's having an effect on some of the forwards. You know, Bright, I watched Antonio, the tight dead prop. Have you ever seen a big man like that run and carry with the ball? Yeah. This guy, when I, I thought in recent years, was just like, you know, oh, right, he, he should be doing more. All of a sudden, he's doing more. Yeah. It has to have something to do with Sean. Rafael Ibanez must be having an impact as well. But I think Sean brings that steely, no-nonsense professionalism, whether it be in English or Pigeon French, I don't know. But whatever he's... Whatever Pigeon Wigan. Oh, yeah. That's a very different language, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is rubbing off because, you know, they, they do look at different propositions, don't they? Disciplined, yeah. the class added to that. And they're playing the game at a, at a different pace to the other. I thought Ireland did after last week against Wales. But I looked at how they shut off some of Ireland's options. And I'm thinking to myself, Craigie, they're on the plane that needs to be, they need to be for the France World Cup, let alone the Six uh, Nations. And the, you know, and another worrying thing, they've found a really consistent goal kicker as well. Oh. That, that always used to be, you know, there used to be about seventy-five percent when, you know, in, in tight games, you could think, well, you know, they might miss a couple, but that that's gone as well, hasn't it? Well, the guy does <laughs> miss. I know he missed one on the weekend, but yeah, Crikey, he, he, and he's got distance as well. But mm. they've had a couple of great fullbacks in recent times. I'm thinking, all of a sudden, this guy comes along, and you can see why the boy can play. He steps mm. in at ten first receivers. But they, they're happy to take the kicks. And it took the game away from Ireland, didn't it? You yeah, know, they yeah, got yeah. to nineteen seven, and that was because of him. Yeah. So I think yeah, they're almost a full package. Sean, um, quality uh, as always. Are you um, are you up in uh, are you up in town um, for the game or? I'm in town. I'm in town. I'm, I'm doing some work for Simon Shaw, so I'll be in a Oh, why? That's where you are. Is it? Oh, I'll, I'll pop in. I'll get you out yeah. by a drink. Be good to see you, pal. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Thank you. Right, Rich. Two rounds gone in the Six Nations. France can, are the only team who can win a Grand Slam, but as we mentioned, they've got to now play away twice. Um, how do you see it panning out? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's teams of found where they are they also know more about the opposition um, so it's such a big pivotal round that round three especially after that break some teams like to keep the momentum some teams don't France are the team on form but I think Ireland have I did, like shown where some cracks are um, you know to, to do that at home is one thing, but then to be able to replicate it when you're away is another thing. But, I mean, they've got all the tools in their armoury to be able to, to go on and, and to win each game. But, but yeah, there are some areas that people can, teams can exploit. Well, I, I think at the moment France are out in front w- within um, the Northern Hemisphere. Ireland a little bit further behind, just a bit. And then um, England, Wales and Scotland a bit behind that. But... Because England have got two home games now and they've got Wales and then Ireland, we'll find out an awful lot about them now. Um, who knows what the selections will be? Um, but I've, you know, I, I, I said before the South Africa game that I just couldn't see England winning because I just couldn't see how they could live with South Africa physically. 
And you might say the same about the challenge of the Irish pack um, uh, as well. But they went and, they, you know, they did it. And um, uh, the pace they're trying to play at, if, if they can eradicate some of the silly errors that they made, the um, unforced errors, and they can, you know, take the chances when they come, and maybe just a bit of luck, you know, when Tom Curry charged that ball down and he couldn't quite find his feet, had that bounced up to him, it'd have been, you know, it'd have been in for a try. So if those go right, England have been given virtually no plaudits from anyone. But that's because, you know, people don't like it, <laughs> and I understand that. But even a lot of England fans have been moaning this, that and the other. Um, and yet I can at least see if bits click, then they're not going to be that far behind. No, I think you're right. There's so many great elements that if you can tie them all together and have that bit of luck on your side, it can make a big difference. But I think England are most dangerous when they are a bit undercooked and they've got, you know, almost the underdog mm-hmm. um, perception about them because they're, they're often the most dangerous teams to play against when you've got that little bit of actually France should win this should win this game. They've got the home advantage. They've been on top form. When you've got all that up against you, you know, the, the likes of I'd love to see Randall, you know, starting with Marcus Smith. You know, the likes of those two just alone to go and play and express and and give it a good go. You know that that can be a really dangerous dangerous place. So they have all the elements to be able to put in the performance to beat France. Absolutely, but you know, a lot of things do have to go right. Well, Rich, before we go to questions, you were playing. Uh, the weekend for Quinns uh, against Worcester, convincing win. How's the season going? Yeah, the season's been a little bit up and down for us. We've been a bit inconsistent with some performances and we've been blown away, even blown ourselves away with how we performed in some games. Um, but look, it's, it's begin, beginning to come to the business end, so the win at the weekend was really important for us against Worcester. Um, but yeah, I think it's been definitely the most competitive league I've ever yeah. played in. Um, you know, in the years that we've been in this league, it's it's super competitive. There's no guaranteed win in terms of games at the weekend. So, so yeah, I think in whole the competition's in a really good place. Well, I said when it started, and you were getting these, you know, seventy odd pointers, that that was unacceptable. But you had to give it time for the um, clubs to bed in and so on. We're getting fewer of those now, so that's a, that's in the right direction, uh, and the overall standard. Is there? Everyone is trying to get their players into this, the Welsh, Scots, the Irish, because they don't have their own leagues. They're not as strong. Um, and at the moment, you want the players, the good players. So it means. Can you see a point at which you say to the Celts, "Get your own league and leave ours alone"? I think you do. I think you've got to put pressure on the the unions to to create their own domestic league locally because. You can't have everybody leaving Ireland, Scotland, Wales. And there's young kids that want to be, they need to have something on their doorstep that they're inspiring to. Do I think right now is the right time? No, I think maybe in the next four or five years' time, there needs to be the conversation starting now and the plans in place to grow local domestic um, competition. Um, But yeah, I think there should be a time where, you know, not necessarily completely ruling everybody out, but there needs to be some form of, um, you know, cap put onto it. Well, there's a break for the Six Nations between March and April. Um, what, why is that? Well, obviously, the Women's Six Nations kicks off, doesn't it? So I think it's important that where the league is now, there's so many internationals that play across the league to keep it 
at its the right level of being ultra competitive. You need to have that break. And I think that's the right thing to do by the league because also that's the business end as well. So a couple of results could really change how that league will look. So I think it's important. But there's still the cup that goes on. So there'll Mm -hmm. still be competitive games that go ahead for those not involved in the internationals. I mean, England are heavy favourites for the women's Six Nations. Um, you know, they're on and they've got they've, they've had some big performances. Is there? Can you see anyone getting near them? I can absolutely see France getting near them. Mm. It's always pretty touch and go between those two. Being away in France as well adds to that pressure. Um, but yeah, I think you know England have shown all their cards now, so I think everybody's aware of what's coming from them, and they'll be really well prepared and. You know, I, I'm not saying that Wales will be able to turn them over, but I think they're going to be far, far more competitive this mm. season. Um, and, you know, they're always quite tasty games anyway, even without the Welsh players having the um, contracts. How long, do you think, how long do you think that will take before the, the real benefits are seen? Three years? Three, three, four years? I think at least two or three years, yeah. I, when you first turn professional or semi-professional, you're learning so much about yeah. just being a professional, mm-hmm. let alone it going into performance. So I think you, you'll probably see the fruits of all of that, you know, the next World Cup cycle. Time for some questions. Jeremy, given that winning the ball against the head is now virtually non-existent and that it's scrum um, to take in an age to settle... Disrupting the flow of the game. How's the scrum at its day? Well, I've only been going on about this for 15 years. I, I, you know, it's, it's so recent. It's as simple as this. Um, scrums need to be competitive. We need to keep them like that in union because it gives an opportunity for players. Just take Jason Lennon, for example. You know, he's not a ball player. Um, he can handle a bit, but immensely strong immensely fit, immensely courageous and a vital point in the team. All front rows and so on. So we, we need that. But what we don't need, what we don't need is referees not refereeing the laws. Because if they did, then we would get better scrums. And I, I, the only way I can see to, to, to get this better is to have a, like a countdown clock like you have in American football where if you don't get your down away, they, they, they move you back five yards. If you said, right, from the time we, from the time we mark, the referee marks a scrum, you've got to be ready to go down for the set, the crouch, within 30 seconds. Otherwise, we give the put in to the other team. Same with line-outs. If you're not in the line, if, you, if you, your, your line-out isn't formed, within, well, you get, look, I don't care what figure we all agree on, so you've got to give it, right, about 40 seconds, 45 or whatever, but by that time, you've got to, otherwise we give the throw to the other team. And tell you what, they do it because they can do it. The reason they take an age is because they're allowed to take an age. The reason they take the, a line-out um, you know, chat is because they can do. And they want to take the rest because they know they can. If they weren't allowed to, they wouldn't. And funnily enough, they'd manage to do it because they're all professionals and we, and we could do that. And then we wouldn't have... See, I've always said this. Unless you watch from a fan perspective without the referees, Mike, and... So therefore, you're just watching what is or isn't going on. You don't get the true perspective. Because when you're a player or, or, or you're a coach or you're a commentator, there's always something to say or you're analysing. So the time goes really quickly. Tell you what, you, you sit there for three reset scrums in a row. With people, it's just tedious. And it can be better. It can be better. 
Right, there's enough of a rant. Um, <laughs> Rissan, thoughts about Eddie playing a Toji at six? Um, practice to have Laws back up ready, or what would you do at six, Rick? I think it's a good option, um, having a Toji a little bit more in the loose. His ability around the park is is second to none when he's in the row, let alone when he's a little bit more um, on the loose side. Um, that Laws is a phenomenal player, and yeah. without him, it is a big dent in that back row, I think, just in terms of being really mobile around the pitch and his ball-carrying ability. So I think it's a good option to have Otoji there. I think, we, we, I mean, we've seen him play there before. It's not a bad option at all. Um, Dylan, do you think England's backs desperately need to align in May? And what's some back? Well, um, a fit to align, yes, of course they do. Um, with Johnny May and Watson, they have got options on the wing. That, fortunately for England, they've got much more depth there, um, so that's not quite as crucial. And it is difficult, isn't it? What does, what does Jones do? Does he, he make a space for him? Does he wait? Does he bring him straight back in? I, I think he, you, I think you've just got to. Yeah. And, and ride your look. The, the problem is, what, what, is there a point where you, where you have to say, look, Manu... Even if you're available, sorry. Look, because we can't, you can't guarantee, and it's not your fault, but you can't guarantee that you'll have a whole Six Nations or a whole World Cup. We just can't, we can't take the chance because we don't want to be disrupted halfway through a tournament. But, and we do want to prepare. We do want our centres. The, the, this is the two. And I'm sorry, until, I mean, can, can you see them getting to that point or not? I don't think so. I think he's too influential. He's, he can be an absolute game changer mm. and he's so pivotal. I think what they need to do is establish that Tuolangi is in that wherever, you know, at whatever point, but what's next, that's the bit that they've got to get right for the to have that kind of backup plan. And I, I'm with you, you know, Watson, phenomenal player and May, but there are a lot of options in that back three at the moment. Um, but I think, you know, somebody that you would slot in straight away would be a Tuolangi. You know, I, I think Tuolangi is different to the two because... I think with the wing options, you can just say, well, who's playing well? Yeah. What is the form? And that's fine, because they're all close to each other. Um, Richard, question. Do you think Eddie Jones is too loyal to a few and a bit too quick to turn over talent after just one or two games? Um, I've... To me, the, the, the failure to sort out the centre partnership problem um, is a flaw. Having said that, with Tuolangi in, out and whatever, there are reasons for that and the positive options. For me, the biggest question mark I have about him is, is within the halfbacks. Because remember it was when you, you know, were going to the World Cup and you pick a 34-year-old as a, as a backup scrum half um, and now we're coming into the last sort of run, 17, 18 games, Quirk's still not getting even bench time. Um, if Yug's form drops off, uh, if he gets injured, um, you're going to have a very inexperienced uh, backup scrum half. And I, to me, look, Ben Young has been a tremendous servant. You can see how many caps he's got. But he has to make a decision to me and say, right, he is definitely going to be there or he's not. One or the other. Because the further you get, the nearer you get to the tournament, the, the, you know, the more difficult it becomes to make the decision and if you're forced to, that's what you don't want. You don't be forced to make a decision. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, there's only X amount of games left and that's the only opportunity you're going to have to, to bread in some new talent. Um, but it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because sometimes you've got to go to people that you know and trust and and maybe that's where why Eddie Jones is where he is at the moment with those decisions. But yeah, I'd love to see Quirk get more opportunity within that side. 
what do you see as England's weaknesses at the moment? I guess I think just, you know, small bit, minor details, isn't it, around making sure that they're keeping possession in the right areas of the pitch. You know, the second half, their discipline got away from them a little bit. But, you know, I think there is a hell of a lot that's going right for them. It's just minor tweaks in certain I mean, areas. They, they, they've started a little bit to get more sophistication in their their ball carrying and asking more questions of, of defenders, moving them around and making them make choices. And that's been lacking for a long time. Still um, some way to go. And if you want to see um, what difference that makes, you know, it, look at the semi-final against New Zealand. When you get uh, ball carriers with options and people running off them, um, very difficult for any side to live with that because you can't cover everything and you just have to guess. So that's a big one. I think they are still prone, whether it's through inaccuracy or ill-discipline or it's a combination of both, to just go missing for 20 minutes. And against good sides, that's it. You know, uh, against Italy, doesn't matter. Against Scotland... They were on top for about 60 minutes, couldn't quite get there. And, and, and to be fair to them, the conditions were absolutely wretched. And uh, there was a reason for that. But that inattention for 20 minutes, game gone by a side who, who does that. And that's still, Colin, that still is a, is a weakness. I think they're developing in other areas. And this all also goes back to a... Uh, and I'll link this into the final question from Christopher, who's saying he wants our views on why we believe that England are behind France and Ireland at the moment, given the huge resources of talent available. Well, the talent thing, yeah, it's a slight red herring. Uh, it's a question of fitness and whatever. But I do think Eddie Jones has to take some responsibility with the, you know, the core squad and sticking with them. Um, and the decisions, as I say, you know, he will say, look, it's my team. Um, I'll pick who I want because it's my job. Fine. And... Judge me when it's done, and that, that's, a, that's a fair point. However, uh, you know, I think there are some questions where, like the scrum half thing, like the centre thing, where um, it, it doesn't seem to me that it, it will go right unless there is, a, you know, he's more didactic and more... The funny thing is with Eddie, you know, in, in some respects, he's a very certain coach, he'll do this, this and this, and in other respects, you know, he, he says I'll make changes, and then he doesn't. And you see, a cl- you see a big clarity of thinking on one hand and then not on the others. So that, that's an inconsistency from him, I think. That's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. A big thanks to my co-host, Rachel Burford, and to my guests, Alan Quinlan and Sean Holly for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can check out all our previous ones by subscribing to the Full Contact podcast channel. No matches next week in the Six Nations, but I'll be back next Monday as we build up to big round three in England's clash with Wales at Twickenham. Who doesn't like that? Until then, it's goodbye. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. 
Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh! There it is. Drawing board or Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.